you haven't been with us uh, the last few weeks, John just wrapped up uh, a fantastic series on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and so I really highly recommend going back, watching those, listening to those. Uh, every week it seemed like that was just exactly what I needed to hear, whether it was a word of encouragement or a good little uh, spurring on kick. Either way, it was really good. So uh, we thank you for that. And it was, uh, I hope it was as impactful to all of you as it was to me. But if you've been with us for very long, you've probably grown accustomed to whenever I preach that I'm going to preach about some random thing out of the Old Testament. It's probably something you've never heard of, and that's what I thrive in. I have a tendency to enjoy things that people have never heard of, and that's great, but that's what I call kind of like the deep cuts, the deep tracks. Like if you listen through somebody's album, like everybody's going to know the greatest hits of an artist but you might not know track number seven on one of their albums. But today I want to talk about the greatest hit. And so if you're listening through an album, you know there's, there's some songs that, you know, we can just kind of skip past those. And then there's some songs that it doesn't matter what time of day it is, what's going on, you, you can't skip past it. It's, it's the greatest hit. It's the best songs that that person has. Maybe some of the best songs that you've ever heard. So... For me, I love the band Boston. Boston's one of my favorite bands of all time. They have a song called More Than a Feeling," which I'm convinced is the greatest song ever written. I've, I've yet to hear a better song. I have fantastic memories of driving around town with my mom, especially whenever the sun was setting, and it would come in in the bridge of the chorus with a nice beat and a guitar solo, and we would high-five to the beat, even though we have no musical ability whatsoever, and we were always very off-beat, but... It's a great memory, and it's always fun to do. Or somebody I've gotten into recently, Bruce Springsteen, he has a song called Born to Run, and every time it comes on, whenever we get to the saxophone solo in the middle, Elon makes me stop talking, and we have to listen to the saxophone solo, and then we usually rewind it two or three times to hear it again. Okay, maybe it's the other way around. Maybe I tell her to stop talking, and we have to rewind it. But you get the point. I love hearing those songs, and it doesn't matter how many times I've heard them, they never, ever get old. And so some of the greatest hits of the Bible that we hear all the times, we hear of David and Goliath a lot, we hear of Daniel and the lion's den a lot, we hear of uh, Jesus and the loaves and the fish a lot. But out of all of these, the most important things that could have ever happened in the history of the world is Jesus' birth death, and resurrection. And it doesn't matter how many times we hear it, how many times we read it, how many times in the world that it is told, it never loses its value. There's no such thing as inflation whenever it comes to the gospel. The gospel is always going to have its power. It's not going to get weakened. It's not going to get loosened. So let's start Let's just start in Luke chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 8. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. Remember, Luke is probably going to be about three-fourths of the way through your Bible. The chapters are the big numbers, and the verses are the small numbers. So Luke chapter 2, verse 8. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. 
But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you who is the Messiah. A Savior was born for you who is the Messiah. See, Jesus' birth is significant because it shows God coming to us for the first time for this first part of this ultimate reconciliation process. But this, this verse, this passage is a little different because a lot of times we see Jesus born, but then in Luke's narrative right here, he intentionally shows the angel coming and saying, this is the Savior, this is the Messiah, and it's for all people. And in Luke's gospel, he has a way a lot of times he brings up people who are impoverished, who are poor, who are in more need of help than a lot of others. And there's stories of people who do help and people who don't help. But I don't think it's any accident that he's showing here that the angel went to the shepherds, some of the lowest people of society. They, they were just kind of there. A lot of times they were frowned upon. But if you think they were out in the wilderness with sheep all the time, and sheep weren't like this big, expensive uh, type of livestock or anything that people were always gravitating towards. They were dirty. A lot of times they were mean. They were just this lowest of society. But the angel is coming and saying, no, this is your savior. This is Messiah for all of you. I don't care if you're a shepherd. I don't care if you're a wise man. I don't care what you are. Jesus is coming for you. This has been prophesied throughout the entire Old Testament. And now your Messiah, your savior, he's here. So this time of Jesus coming as a person is known as the incarnation, as God coming to earth as a man. And the importance of the incarnation really cannot be understated. It's a very, very important thing that God came down to our level. So God created the heavens and the earth, and then he created man, and it was perfect. It was exactly what God intended, it was very good. And then we went and messed it up. Adam and Eve sinned, mankind messed it up. He messed up, we messed up this perfection that God had intended for us. And so throughout the Old Testament, we see repentance and God doing some sort of restoration to what people have messed up. And things go all right for a little bit, and then guess what? We blow it again. So we see repentance and then a little bit of restoration and God brings it back a little bit and then guess what? We blow it again. That's the entire cycle throughout the Old Testament. So there had to be some sort of permanent solution to this problem. And it starts with the incarnation because even though this is a human issue, we were the ones that had messed up. It was a God-sized problem. It was a human issue, but it was a God-sized problem. We were the ones facing the consequences of our actions, but only God could fulfill such a problem of the separation between us and God. So since the fall in Genesis 3, communion between God and humans, what wasn't achievable? There had to be some sort of intercession. There was always a high priest who was appointed that interceded between everybody else and God. And so now with Jesus coming as a man, he is the permanent intercessor. 
We talk about Jesus' intercessory prayer ministry, meaning that he basically tells us what to pray. He comes to us and he shows us what we need. That's the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And we were able to go directly to God because Jesus came as a man. We cannot understate how important this is. And it shows how much God loves us. That Jesus would come in the form of a man, that he would not come as a man that was a king and in high power, but that he was born in a shed. That he was the son of some sort of handy person, a carpenter, stonemason, something like that. It's that humbleness that shows how much God loves us, that he would come as a man, that he would leave heaven, that he would leave the right hand of God and come as a man. And if you also think about biblical times, it wasn't the cleanest, most glamorous time. It was dirty, it was gross. They didn't have a whole lot going on for them. So if you look up here, that is my dog, Luna. I love Luna. She's fun. As you can see, she loves toys. Uh, she is very energetic. She's funny. Uh, she is below average intelligence. <laughs> but she does have an above average sized head. It's pretty large. And uh, Luna loves her toys. She loves playing. Uh, but she hates the vacuum cleaner. And I'm like, it's your fault that I'm having to vacuum because there's shards of toys all over the apartment. And she also hates getting wet in any capacity. So bath time is not a fun time for any of us. But, you know, we love our dogs. And, you know, I feel like sometimes, like, being a dog is a, is a really good life. You know, you just get to lay around, you get fed, uh, you don't really have to work for anything. Uh, you don't have to pay for anything. But there's also times that being a dog is kind of like, pun not intended, rough. And, you know, you can't just go out whenever you need to go to the bathroom. You, you have to rely on somebody to feed you. Uh, you have to rely on somebody to provide bedding and food and all that stuff. So imagine if you had the opportunity to fix that, that, that your dog could just perfectly communicate, I need to go to the bathroom, and they go out. You don't have to take them out. They just go out, and they come right back in. Or they can prepare their own meals. Better yet, they can pay for their own food. That'd be really cool. Um, they can take themselves to the vet. They, they, they don't have to be as completely reliant on you, and they don't, they don't have these problems. They don't have to stop and wait for you to help them with things. And you, you have the opportunity to solve this for all the dogs in all the world under the one condition that you become a dog. You, 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 leave, you leave everything behind. You leave the relationships that you have in this life behind. You leave the comforts that we have as humans behind, the uh, ability to think through things, the intellect, the appreciation of artistry, the good food that we have, you can help all the dogs in the world. You have to leave that behind. You have to become a dog. I love Luna. She's fun. She's great. I wouldn't become a dog for her. I'd say, no, no, you, you, you can eat dog food. You're, you're okay. 
But that's exactly, even on a greater level, what Jesus did for us. He had everything. He's God. He's at the right hand of God the Father. He is in the heavens where there's no flaw, there's no sin. He left that to come and be one of us. While he was fully God, he became fully man out of his love for us. So Jesus came down as a person. And then we see, after Jesus came down, that Jesus died on the cross. Turn to Luke 23. Luke 23, verses 44 through 46. So there had been a lot leading up to this between Jesus' birth and Jesus' death. We see him perform miracles. There are some people that like him, some people that don't like him. But he showed love, he showed compassion, he showed grace, he spoke with authority, and people were starting to see this is the Messiah, just like the angel had said. Starting in verse 44, it was about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three, because the sun's light failed. The curtain of the sanctuary was split down the middle, and Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. Saying this, he breathed his last breath. So this isn't, oh, he passed out. This isn't, uh, he, he fell asleep. This isn't, oh, he, he, he stopped, his heart stopped beating, but we, we have an AED machine. We know somebody who knows CPR. We, we can get him back. No, he was dead. He breathed his last breath. Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. He's gone. It's over. Three days he was dead. And Jesus' death is significant in that he sacrificed himself to take on what we as humans deserve. After we disobeyed God, after we created that divide, Jesus came as a person out of love and then died on the cross out of love for us. And so all of the four Gospels, like Savannah was talking about earlier, they all have a little bit of a different angle. They're written for different audiences. But all of them show throughout the gospel that Jesus was in fact the Messiah, but then have to answer, okay, but if Jesus is the Messiah, then how did the Messiah die? That doesn't make sense. Messiahs come and they rescue. Messiahs don't die. And just as curious as it is that Jesus became human, we contemplate why he would die for us. God had given us everything and we messed it up. So why is he now coming, giving everything up and dying for us? Not just dying, but dying a brutal, horrific, humiliating death as there was. This was not a quick thing. This was not a lethal injection where you basically just fall asleep. No, this was a long, drawn-out, humiliating death brutal thing that Jesus did for us. So like we said, this was a human issue, but a God-sized problem that can only be solved by God. So he solved the human issue by becoming a man, but then fulfilled the God-sized problem by dying for us. But that still doesn't exactly answer the question of 
why he would do this. Why would Jesus give this up? Why would he give up being at the right hand of God? Why would he come and die this brutal, humiliating death? Well, 1 John chapter 4, verse 16, it says, God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in them. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. Okay, but what we need to focus on is that God is love. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in them. And what really stands out there is that God is love. God is love. This is the most loving thing that could ever be done. God is love. And so then we see in the book of John, chapter 15, verse 13, that no one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. So 1 John and the book of John are probably written by the same person. I don't think this is any accident of that there's a constant emphasis on love. So God is love, and there's no greater love that can be seen than one who will lay down his life. And so we're seeing God's ultimate, perfect love on display, and that answers the question of why would Jesus give everything up? Why would he die this brutal, horrific death? And it's because he is love. That is how much he loves us. And it's in his character. It's not a decision that had to be made. It's in his natural character that he would love us to that extent, in that way, that he will give up everything he has for us. Now, this doesn't mean that Jesus necessarily wanted to. We see in one of the other Gospels, Jesus talking to God the Father, and he says, hey, if we can do this another way, that'd be really cool. God says no. He says, okay. Now, a few years ago, there was a movie that came out of these celestial alien things that were supposed to guard and protect humanity. But then, as they were here for a long time, they started to realize uh, the destruction and the evil that humanity was capable of. So they start questioning is humanity really worth saving? Should, should we really protect them? Will we really be doing the right thing? And I don't think that's what was happening with Jesus. I think there was just the realization of the brutality, of the humiliation that he was going to go through. And so he's saying, I'm still going to do this regardless. But if we could do it another way, that'd be great. And that shows his humanity in that moment. Go back to my dog. If I'm not going to become a dog for her, I'm sure it's like not going to die for her. She'll be here about 10 years. It'll be fun while it lasted. Not going to die for my dog. But Jesus willingly came and died for us. A couple years ago, I was studying for finals. It was in the middle of December. And I was on my way to a coffee shop in Waco called Pinewood. Love Pinewood. Uh, highly recommend it. The sermon is not sponsored by Pinewood, but go to Pinewood. Good coffee. You'll probably see Savannah there while you're there. And so I'm on my way to Pinewood, and it's cold outside, and I'm on a big time crunch. I'm studying for this major test that I have. 
And if you're familiar with Waco, it is a very poorly designed city when it comes to traffic. And so I'm sitting at a light for a decent amount of time, and there's a homeless man standing on the corner who I, I've come to know pretty well. And he's standing there, he, he's asking for money, he's asking for food. And I just roll my window down, and I say, hey man, I'm sorry, I don't have any cash, and I don't have any food, um, but I, ha- I have a water bottle, I'll give you a water bottle. He goes, well, c- come on, you, you can't, can't do anything? I'm like, I, I can give you my water bottle. And he goes, well, there's a golden chick right there, can you, can you go, get, go get me some chicken? I'm like, sure, uh, I'll be happy to go, you get, go get you some chicken, uh, just walk over there and I'll meet you there. He goes, well, I, I can't leave here. Like, why, why, why not? I, I'm buying you food. Why, why can't you just go meet me over there? He goes, well, my basket's here. Then he points to a shopping cart, which was empty, but he couldn't leave his shopping cart and I guess he couldn't roll it over to Golden Chick. So at this point, I'm pretty annoyed, I'm pretty frustrated, but I'm like, fine, I'll, I'll bring it over. So I, I go to Golden Chick and I get him some food. And again, the way this is laid out, it's really hard to be able to get back to where I'm going by stopping in this parking lot to give him some food. So I pull up, guess what? He's gone. I'm like, are you kidding me? So I, I've blown time, I've blown money. I, I, I don't want this chicken. I guess I'll just give it to the next person I see, see if my roommate wants it later. So I'm driving back to Pinewood. All of a sudden, I see him walking down the road pushing his basket. And I'm like, okay, fine. First, I was actually like, you know what? He left. He's fine. He apparently didn't need the food that badly. And then this is one of the moments that I truly can say that I heard God talking to me when he said, have I not gone greater lengths for you than what you can do for him? So I pull over into the single sketchiest apartment I've ever seen in my entire life. I park there, a person comes out, starts yelling at me in Spanish. I have no idea what he's saying. I think he's telling me not to park there. So I just say, dos minutos, dos minutos. Praying, that's how you say two minutes in Spanish. I wasn't sure. And he he nods his head. So I uh, take off down the I-35 access road. It's Like I said, it's December, it's about 30 degrees outside, I'm in boots and jeans, and I'm like screaming at this guy, and he he doesn't hear me, he doesn't hear me, and so I start taking off, I start running in my boots, I actually run out of my boot, almost trip, almost drop the golden chick, where I'm like, I would have been so mad at that point, but I didn't, I didn't, the golden chick was fine. And so I finally reach up to him, I'm like, hey, out of breath, I want to show her, I'm like, hey, I have your food, he goes, oh, I forgot. I'm like, really? He don't say. It would have been really cool if he could have just stood there and waited. And so that's a small thing. And I don't tell that story in any, any way to boost me up. But I'm serious when I say that I felt God saying in that moment, have I not done more for you than what you can do for this person right here? So I hope he enjoyed his golden chick. And it's a great sermon illustration. I've been waiting to use that ever since it happened. (laughs) And my car didn't get towed, so we're good. So Jesus came down. Jesus died on the cross. And then lastly, Jesus rose again. Jesus rose again. So Luke chapter 24, 
verses 5 and 6. We'll start there and then we'll jump to 36 right after there. Luke chapter 24, verse 5. So the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Asked the men. The men would have been the angels at the tomb at this point. He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee. Let's move on to verse 7 saying, it is necessary that the Son of Man be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and rise on the third day. Verse 8 says they remembered his words. So the resurrection is significant in that it is God's final permanent solution to the problem of sin and death. It was, the, it was the constant buildup. We see Jesus coming as a person. We see Jesus dying. And then now this is the ultimate reconciliation. The perfect ending to Jesus' time on earth is he defeats death. He comes back from the dead. This wasn't he was brought back. This wasn't somebody miraculously did CPR. They did some sort of transplant. They got him back. No, Jesus, under his own power, came back from the dead and defeated death. So if there's two things in life that are inevitable, death and taxes, Jesus is a good person to follow because he beat death. And earlier in the book of Luke, he turns a tax collector. So Jesus is a good person to follow. And then we see in chapter 24, verse 36, says, as they were saying these things, he himself stood in their midst. He said to them, peace to you. Now, I've heard a lot of different people say this a lot of different ways. I've heard people say, Jesus, they picture him as kind of like a hippie saying, peace to you, something like that. I just kind of imagine they're standing there talking, and then he's just like sitting in the corner, just kind of like with his feet propped up, drinking something, and they're arguing, they're talking, he's just like, hey, what's up? Peace to you, I'm here. Yeah, I told you, told you I'd be back. And they're like, what the heck is going on? He, he's just there, he's just chilling. He's like, why are you all surprised? I told you this was gonna happen. Here I am. So this is God defeating sin and death. And these three things, Jesus' birth, death, and resurrection are the greatest events to ever happen in the history of the world. It shows us that God is not just a creator, but he is a redeemer and a recreator. Now, I was racking my brain, I was Googling, trying to find some sort of illustration for this. And to be honest, I think the best illustration is not to have one, because there's nothing that can possibly compare to how big of a deal it was that Jesus was completely dead, and now he's completely alive and he will never die again. He died, he rose again, and he's now at the right hand with God. He will be for eternity. That is worth celebrating. That's somebody that is worth worshiping. That's somebody that is worth following and glorifying. Because if Jesus' birth and his death show his great love, this now shows that God has the ultimate authority over all things. That he is the one that is truly powerful that he is the one that truly has the authority to say, death be no more. And because of Jesus' resurrection, Revelation 21 will now eventually be a reality for us. 
where it says that there will be no more death, there will be no more crying, there will be no more sickness, there will be no more mourning. This is all because Jesus, God, has authority over all things. Nothing can stop him, nothing will stop him, not even death, which had never been overcome, it has not been overcome since by anybody but God. That is good news. That is the greatest hit. A few years ago, I got the privilege of seeing Paul McCartney in concert. It was a fantastic show. If you ever get to see him, I highly recommend it. And he even joked a little bit uh, in the middle of the concert that whenever he would play a a newer song that he had written, that people were kind of on their phones. He said, I don't see any flashlights or anything, but whenever I play an old Beatles song, it's like looking through a galaxy of stars. Everybody's recording, everybody has their flashlights on, everybody wants a picture. And then one of the last songs he played was the song, Hey Jude, which is one of the best songs ever written. And I even remember there's, there's people recording and then a guy around me stands up and goes, come on, put your phones away. Focus, you're hearing one of the greatest songs ever written. And pe- people listened. People put their phones away and just got into the song. And so at that moment, there's 20,000 people singing along to a song that we had all heard hundreds of times. But I don't think there was anybody in there thinking, oh yeah, I've heard Hey Jude. I've heard it. It's fine. It was, it was good the first 500 times I heard it, but by 501, not so much. No, everybody was enjoying hearing one of the world's greatest performers singing one of his best songs. And so it doesn't matter how many times we hear the gospel, it's going to be better than any song we could ever hear. It doesn't matter how many times we hear it, how many times it's shared, it will never lose its power, just like God. Because this is the story of God, it won't lose its power. It will not lose its weight and its importance in our lives. So let's think about it every day. Let's let this permeate and run through us. And it's as simple as this. We talk about this a lot of times in the youth ministry, that Jesus came down, he died on the cross, and he rose again. Just take five minutes in the morning. Think about Jesus becoming a person. Five minutes in the afternoon that he died for us, and five minutes at night that he defeated sin and death, that he resurrected. Elon and I were just talking about last night how we really focus on God and make him central in our life at all times. And Philippians 4 says it perfectly to focus on what is good, what is noble, what is trustworthy, if anything has moral excellence, focus on these things. So let's focus on the greatest thing that has ever happened that God has done for us. Let that be central in our lives and all that we do.